Well, good morning, Stonebridge. Hi, Shane. Oh, I just want to thank you all for joining us this week. I know there's so many other churches in town, and and you could choose to be anywhere. You could choose to sleep in this morning. I know I was tempted about it this morning, but then in God's grace, I remembered I was supposed to preach, so I showed up. Um, but we really just appreciate each and every one of you being here, and we just want to thank you. Um, if you are new and are just joining us in the past couple of weeks or even new today, make sure to rip that bottom part of the bulletin off. We want to get information about you, not because we want to stalk you or be creepy or anything like that. We just want to see how we can better minister to each and every one of you. Um, I know a lot of you have been busy this week. Um, maybe some of you have been very busy this week. I want to just personally thank each and every one of you who prayed for, served at, or donated to Trunk or Treat. Uh, it was an amazing event, as Mick said yesterday. Uh, after events like this, it's, it never comes without fail that you always get somebody saying, like, well, was it successful? And I'm like, I just, I don't know how to measure success in an event like this. Um, there was over, we have no idea how many people were there. Being out at DMAC, there was just no way to tell because they were just coming from everywhere. I think they were coming out of the fields. I don't know. But they were just everywhere. But we had one of the e-free trunks. He, he's, he's a great guy. He gives one piece of candy to every single kid and he puts a tally for every single piece of candy he hands out to them. So he tracks children. Kind of sounds odd, but so... He handed out 640 pieces of candy. So there were 640 kids that went through his trunk. That's 200 more than he counted last year. So that's incredible. Last year, we did get a count of like over 2,000 people with 450 kids. So i trying to wrap my brain around it. I'm like, I don't know, like 3,000 maybe? I just don't even know. Uh, nobody seriously got injured. That's always a good thing when I plan an event. You just never really know what's going to happen. Nobody got sent to the emergency room. So that seems really successful, especially with the pedal carts. It was questionable at times. So there was hundreds of children laughing with their families and having fun. There are dozens of people on Facebook right now talking about the event, talking about Stonebridge Church. All of that seems really successful. But the true mark of success comes as what we will do next as a church, what we will do next as a body. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your family, they were all there. When you hear them talking about Trunk or Treat, engage them. Ask them, what was, what was your favorite part? What did you really enjoy about the event? What was your least favorite? What did you not enjoy? What was stressful for you? What didn't you know? And Dre and I need all that kind of information so we can continue to grow the event, as hesitantly as I say that, to make it better every year. We need to know that. Remind these people that you're engaging that you attend Stonebridge and that Stonebridge as a church helped host this event. Events such as this Open the door for you to talk about your faith and your church with the people that God has placed you around every day. Some people may question, why would a church put forth all this time, money, and energy to do something like Trunk or Tree? The answer is not just that we're crazy. 
Um, you have the ability to respond and tell them that we are a church who loves Boone. We love Boone. And we want to serve this community. You have the ability to invite them into what God is doing here at Stonebridge. And it's exciting. That's what drew me in six weeks ago. I saw what was going on. I said, there's something exciting going on here. And I want to be a part of that. And you guys have the ability to invite them into that as well. That is what part of uh, authentic Christianity is all about. Being a church who loves the community. And as we continue to walk through the book of First John, it has been great to see that, as Alex Tuckness said last week, these are some of the Apostle John's final words, some of the final words written in Scripture. And he's writing them as an older man, a senior saint, looking back to the people that he had ministered to and planted the church to, younger, newer believers that he had left in these towns. He wanted them to remember what had been taught to them. Today we find ourselves in 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 through 310. So I'm going to pray and we'll dive into our passages for today. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for Trunk or Treat. God, we pray that you just use that for your glory. Help us as a body to just engage our neighbors, engage our friends, engage our coworkers. Help them to um, see the love of you that is in us and help us to just invite them into what you're doing. I pray now as we open up uh, the scriptures, just unpack these for us. Open our hearts and minds. Speak through me, Lord, and just help us to apply these to our lives. In your name I pray, amen. Sorry about that. Well, as we start today, I, I, I wanted to... Uh, while you turn, if you turn, if you haven't already turned there, while you're turning to your passages, I have a little bit of a confession to make for you guys today. I really like the exclamation point. <laughs> Some of you may have already noticed this. Some of you may have been getting text messages or emails from me, and you may have noticed that I'm a little exclamation happy. I tend to just go a little overboard with it. I've actually gotten lower grades on many papers from high school to college. And now even in my master's program, Shane Kelly just is relentless on hammering me with lower grades. It's the one thing he can usually find about it. I've also caused many broken relationships with my overuse of the exclamation point. And some of you may be snickering a little bit like, how can you cause broken relationships? Well, I had a lady call me up once and she was like hysterical. She was so upset. She's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to leave the kitchen such a mess. And I didn't realize there was a youth event coming. I'll I'll come in later tonight and I'll get it all cleaned up and I won't ever do it again. I won't even use the kitchen ever again. And she was just hysterical. And I'm like, what, what's your problem? Why are you? I was shocked. Why are you so upset? Well, when you texted me, you had like seven exclamation points in the, and I was so freaked out thinking you were angry at me. I was like, I'm not angry. That's just kind of how I do, you know, kind of probably something like this. You know, you got three here and one there and one here. And I just like the exclamation point. It gets me excited. I'm excitable kind of person. So, so that's my confession. When I prepare sermons, we're going to hard shift now. When I prepare sermons, I tend to look at a lot of different sources. In fact, my lovely wife often gives me a little bit of, she loves to give me a little bit of sass when I come home, and I've got like seven books in my arm, and she's like, oh yeah, you preach next week. Ugh. 
She's like, there's no way you're going to read all of that. You barely even read one book a month. You're going to read seven books this week? She was really excited when she came home this week and she found her living room like this. (laughs) She's right. There is no way I'm going to read all of these in one week. But I do like to look at all of them a little bit. I like to read the passage over and over again. And then I like to get three or four different commentaries and, and look at the passage in all of them. And what this picture doesn't show is the number of online sermons that I'm watching of people going through these passages and, and blogs that I'm reading. I kind of just over-prepare. Um, I also like to read the passage in many different translations. And as I notice something about the passages for today... Now, if you have an ESV, you will not see what I am talking about. But in verse 1 of chapter 3, something jumped out to me. The exclamation point! Yeah! John's excited like me! (laughs) Now, like I said, if you have the ESV, you don't see it. But it's there. Chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. (laughs) Now, you should know that the original books of the Bible didn't have punctuation points in them. And in fact, the books didn't have chapters or verses or anything like that. It was just a letter just written to these people. But for some reason, the translators of the NIV, the Christian Standard, the New American Standard, and even the New King James all added my favorite punctuation point at that verse. And it just got me excited. Over and over again in this book, John refers to his readers as children. You and I and everyone else that has opened this book over the past 2,000 years has seen these words, children, This is an enduring enduring term, and John is referring to the idea that those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we carry the name of children of God. John is excited about that, and he's excited about what he's telling you all here. And we're going to go back to verse 28 and build up and kind of see what he's really building up to and getting so excited about, but for now, we just we need to see that. We need to understand that John is super excited about this. So follow along as, as I start at verse 28, and I'll read through the whole passage for today. It says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, may, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we will know that when he appears. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. 
Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he was born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Right away in verse 28, we see this idea of abiding. And Alex Tuckness, last week when he was here, he dug in a little bit on that idea of abiding, but I want to talk just a little bit more about it this week because it's just over and over again in these passages. Abiding means to be at home or dwelling with, being at home with God, dwelling with God. One of, Alex talked about how this is one of John's favorite words. And John actually uses it 17 times in either the gospel or these epistles of John. Abide can mean many different things. And right here, it means to be rooted in him, knit to him by the spirit that they have received. The abiding is pointing us to something more than just our temporary position. It is pointing towards an eternal hope. We are to remain in Christ looking forward to a hope of his glorious return. And as we continue through these passages, we need to remember that is where John is writing from because it starts to get a little heavy as I was reading through it. We need to remember as we get to these passages later on in this passage, verses in this passage, this is where John starts. Abide in Christ. And he starts to build the rest. He wants to remind us that as long as we are abiding in Christ, we have a hope that is radical to this world. And it is a hope that, as verse 29 says, it is rooted in God's righteousness. That is where our hope is. It's not on the temporary. It's not on our feelings. It's not on what's going good in our life. It's rooted in God's righteousness. It's important to understand that our pursuit of holiness does not qualify us to see the Lord. We cannot produce enough righteousness on our own to impress God or to gain admittance into heaven. Nothing we can do can do either one of those. Instead, we just stand before God in the the righteousness of the one who has earned it, Jesus. That is the only thing that can get us there. That is really important as we move into chapter 3. Right in the beginning of chapter 3, we see what kind of love the Father has given to us. What is your reaction to God being a loving Father? I know that term, loving Father, can bring up all sorts of different emotions in us. But when I read that, I thought of my own boys. And I thought of, Andrea had been gone. So many of you know that. She had been gone for a week over in Haiti. And when she got home, it was very late at night. We weren't going to wake the boys up because it just wasn't right. The next day was a school day, so we just, we'll just see him the next day. But as Andrea went upstairs, she opened the door, or she, and Axel's door was cracked open. So she opened it just because she wanted to see him. 
And as she looked in, she sees Axel laying on top of the blankets, shivering. And so she does what any good mom would do. She tries to, like, magician pull the blanket out from underneath and wrap him back around. And, of course, he wakes up. And he gets a glimpse of her, and he just dives into her arms. Mommy! I couldn't get my phone out fast enough to actually take a picture of him doing that. But you can see just the smile on his face, just knowing that his mom is there. His loving mother is there. He doesn't have to deal with only dad anymore. (laughs) So then at that point, we're like, all right, we'll just go and we'll wake up Deacon too. Because at this point, one's woken up, you might as well wake up the other one. And so Deacon does the same thing, just jumps into her arm. And then you can see in the next picture, they both jumped in bed with her the next morning and woke her up because it's just right, you know. God is our loving father. That is the the kind of mentality that we should have when we hear these words. Just run to him and throw our arms around him. Daddy, mommy, God, you're so good. We need to have confidence in his love. We are children of God. Do you believe that today? I know that some of you might have negative feelings about any verse that talks about a loving father. We must push through those negative feelings brought on by memories and feelings that we carry, baggage that we carry from human fathers who have made mistakes and wronged us in some way, shape, or form, sometimes horribly wronged us. But we have to push through that and know that God is so good. We need to dwell on God's love that he has given to us, that he has lavished upon us, freely and unconditionally giving us his son. If we abide in Jesus, we should be so excited about these verses, just like John. That's what he was building up to. That is why some translators use the, puncture, the, the exclamation point here at the end of verse 1. We should be shouting these verses from the rooftop. This verse should propel us to pursue godliness. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We should be excited. Then in verse 2, we see what many of us know to be true. This idea of abiding in Christ is a process, right? It's not just automatic overnight. We are righteous and we're holy and we're good with God. The idea, the process of sanctification or becoming more like Christ does not end until we meet Jesus, until we stand before him. We just Every day we have to abide in him. We have to choose to follow him every day. In verses three and four, we see what our behavior as children should be. If we are abiding in Christ and we know that he is a loving father, what should our behavior be? Children want to look like their father. Now, this isn't always a good thing for my boys. Sometimes they, they say things or their mannerisms aren't something that I'm proud of. And I'm like, where'd you learn how to do that? Oh, that's me. That's, that's little me right there. That's a great thing to see. <laughs> and he's whispering over there. <laughs> the passage talks about purifying themselves. The question is, do you, do you want to look like your heavenly father? Do you want to imitate him? Purifying takes a long time. Obedience to God is difficult. 
It's an everyday process. But it's, it's about the little things. It's not just waking up perfectly sanctified and holy. It's every day choosing to follow him a little bit more. 2 Timothy 3, 11 through 13 says, The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It's not about my faithfulness. If it was about my faithfulness, I would be in deep trouble every single day. Let me tell you another little secret. As a pastor, I don't always feel like praying. I don't just bounce out of bed every morning and be like, all right, Jesus time. Let's pray and let's read my Bible. I don't always feel like it. I always feel like loving my family sacrificially and putting them before me. Some days, I actually get a little jealous of non-Christians. They get to sleep in on Sunday. You guys get to sleep in a lot more than other churches, let me tell you that. That was part of the reason bringing me over here too. But <laughs> non-Christians get to sleep in all day long. If they want to, they get to watch football all day Sunday. They get to spend all their money on themselves. They don't feel as guilty when they sin as I do. But yet even in those moments when I am selfish and unloving and unfaithful, God is so good and holy and perfect and faithful. And Jesus' death on the cross and his righteousness cover all of those sins of faithlessness. If we are abiding in Christ, then we know that we are children of God and there is a hope and a future glory. Now, as we make the turn into verses four through 10, this is where the real hard shift comes. And John almost starts to contradict himself, it seems like, especially if we compare these passages with the passages back in 1 John 1, just three chapters earlier. If we compare these, they start to contradict themselves, it seems like. In 1 John 1, 8 through 10, it says, if we, have, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Yet these passages here in 1 John 3, it says that no one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning. What is it, John? If, if we say we don't sin, we make him a liar. But yet, if we abide in Christ, we shouldn't keep on sinning. What is it? I'm confused. I don't know about you guys. This is why I read seven different books and watch three different sermons and read all the blogs I do. Because I'm confused just reading through these passages and I have to teach you guys. So, John MacArthur teaches me so I can teach you. Not really, but... It's confusing if we don't understand the difference in words that he's using here. How many of you felt like you have let God down this month? How about this week? How about today? What time is it? 11.15? It's still early. Yeah, it doesn't take long. Does that mean that God loves us any less? No. The difference is, in 1 John 1 and 1 John 3 is this word practice. What does it mean to practice? 
It takes long hours to practice something. Practicing is not just once in a while. It's not by accident. It is deliberate and intentional. And that is what John is talking about when he's talking about the person who practices sin. What is your attitude towards practice? When I was in middle school, I played the clarinet. Now, we don't have time for me to explain why Joey Weber landed on the clarinet of all instruments, but if you want to see a grown man whine and complain like a child, ask me about it afterwards. Now, if any of you play the clarinet, it is a lovely instrument. It just wasn't what I wanted. I hated playing the clarinet. I hated practicing it. But my mother would make me practice every single day. Every day. You have to do your 30 minutes of clarinet practice. Get up there and do it. I got so angry about having to practice it that one day I stomped upstairs and I slammed my clarinet together and I'm just blowing on as hard as I can and I slam it on my bed in anger. Ooh. (laughs) And it snapped in half. And not like the pieces that go together just popping out. No, it snapped in half. So the cork on the one end was still inside this end. I'm trying. That's not going back together. My mom was really pleased with me after that. What if I would have been given a vision? At that point when I was in middle school and I was so frustrated about playing the clarinet, what if God had given me a vision of 20 years down the road of me being a a concert clarinetist? I I don't know if that's a word or not, but I'm just going to go with it. What if he had given me a vision of playing in Carnegie Hall with thousands of people watching me on my clarinet solo? (laughs) Would that have changed my attitude about practicing at all? Maybe, maybe I would have actually wanted to do it. What if you were given a vision? What if you were shown where you were going? What if God transported you right now to 20 years down the road? At the current pace you are on, would you be happy? God is giving you a glimpse of what you can be if you continue where you are at. To practice sin is to sin consistently and as a way of life. It does not refer to committing an occasional sin. It is clear, the Bible is clear, that no Christian is sinless. But God expects a true believer, a true follower of Jesus to sin less. Not to sin habitually. Are you abiding in Christ or are you practicing sin? How do we even tell? How do you tell? You know, because like I said, we we sin every day. So how do we tell if if that sin is practicing or if we're abiding in Christ? Well, the answer is fruit. John 15 is like this famous passage of abiding in Christ. And in it, God says that, or Jesus says that, I am the vine and you are the branch. And if you abide in me, you will produce much fruit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you aren't producing any fruit, maybe that's because you aren't connected to the vine anymore. That doesn't mean that you will never sin again. Unless, until Jesus returns, we will continue to make mistakes, to let people down, to be faithless. 
He is talking about the reality of God in us causes us to deal radically with our sins, to turn from them. When everyone says there's no way you can beat that addiction, you say, I've got Christ inside of me and I need to turn from it. We don't settle to continue in sin. We don't desire to practice a life of sin. If we are practicing sin, we are not abiding in Christ. And these last couple of verses show us that God hates sin. How do you feel about your sin? Do you even care? Or do you have that nagging guilt in your heart every time you make a mistake? We have to call sin out for what it is. If we do anything less than that, we are calling him a liar. We are making God a liar. Hate is a very strong word. I know that. But I don't, I don't want you just to take my word for it when I tell you that God hates sin. That's why I jump all over the Bible and I use different verses. 1 John 3.15 says, Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. This is how God feels about sin. He hates it. Do you hate your sin? Whatever it is. We call everything from telling a white lie to genocide, we refer to anything in between as sin. It is easy for us to hate murder or abortion or racism, but do you hate your addiction or lying or speeding? I'm with you. I sin every day. And some days I definitely don't hate my sin. If you've ever, actually, if I've ever passed you on the highway, you know for a fact that I sometimes really love my sin. There are people who call themselves believers. Even some who are trying to lead you astray. They're trying to say, That's, it's not that big of a deal. Don't worry about it. They would rather choose sin than deal with their sin. They would rather embrace sin than embrace the, relate, the relational reality of living in Christ, abiding in Christ. They don't feel the shame that is associated with sin. My, my sin of speeding, I try real hard to fight through it and to, to get through it and, and to not deal with it. Matt told me that I had to be honest and I shouldn't use seating, speeding as my case example if I wasn't actually going to try and deal with it. And I said, okay. I remember a time when I actually felt the shame of my sin of speeding. Because I love it. I love driving fast. I love driving anywhere really fast. But I remember one time I got pulled over. And at first... My first thought was like, oh, now I'm going to have to pay my, that stupid ticket. Oh, no, my insurance is going to go, oh, Andrea's going to criticize me for getting another speeding ticket. Because I've gotten lots. Um, but Deacon and Axel were with me this time. And all of a sudden, Axel freaks out in the back seat, starts crying. My daddy's going to jail. What am I going to do? Who's going to help us? In that moment, I finally felt the shame of my sin of speeding. And I had to explain to them that daddy was a sinner. And so Deacon was in there in that moment. And so now I had a little voice of, uh, yeah, conscience, my little voice of conscience there. 
he's sitting next to me now every day as we drive. And every time we drive past a speed limit sign, he'll look at it and then he'll look at my speedometer. Daddy, you're sinning. It's only five miles, buddy. Yeah, but you're sinning. Thank you, Deacon. How do we abide and keep ourselves from practicing sin? That's the question. First, we need to love God. That is our first step in knowing that we are abiding in Christ, is that we need to love God more and more. Matt Chandler says in his book, Explicit Gospel, knowledge of and belief in hell, as important as they are, are unable to create worshipers. You cannot scare anyone into heaven. Heaven is not a place for those who are afraid of hell. It is a place for those who love God. You can scare people into coming to church. You can scare people into trying to be good. You can scare people into giving money. You can even scare them into walking down an aisle and praying a certain prayer, but you cannot scare people into loving God. He says you just can't do it. You can scare them into moral acts of goodness, but that is not salvation. It's not even Christian. Do you really love God? Or are you just afraid of hell? If your sole purpose for being in church and being a Christian is that you are afraid of going to hell, I beg you to talk to somebody. Talk to me, talk to Matt, talk to Shane, talk to your connection group leader. Fear of hell will not keep you out of hell. The second thing we need to do to make sure that we are abiding in Christ is that we need to pursue holiness. That, that, seems, that seems easy when I just say it. Well, just pursue holiness. Well, yeah, which, which of us doesn't want to do that? How do we actually pursue holiness? 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself. The word used in that passage for discipline is a, word, a Greek word, gumnasia. And that is where we get the word for gymnastics or gymnasium. And anyone who has seen or participated in gymnastics knows that is not an easy sport. We need to exercise, discipline ourselves. For those of you who exercise, some days we don't feel like it. Some days I don't feel like exercising. Some of you play sports or used to play sports. What happens when you stop practicing your sport? You start to suck, don't you? I haven't exercised in three weeks. I have felt that I was too busy and I just didn't have time to do it, but I don't have that excuse anymore. So tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., I'm going to go running and then I'm going to lift weights and it is going to suck really bad and it's probably going to suck all week, but I have to do it in order to get back in a rhythm Sometimes you don't feel like reading your Bible or praying or any other sort of Christian discipline. Sometimes you haven't done it in a while and you just don't know how to get back into it. But if you don't get back at it, if you don't start exercising your spiritual muscles, you will not grow in your Christ-likeness. What does it mean to be an authentic Christian? That is our sermon series. What does that even mean, authentic Christianity? Authentic Christianity is open honest, real, and raw. It's saying I am broken and I am struggling. It's not just coming in here Sunday morning and and raising your hands at the right time because that's what you're supposed to do. 
It's about saying to your friends and your connection group and your pastors, I am broken and I need help. This is the distinction that we see and view in 1 John 3, 1 through 10. A true believer does not live in habitual sin. He may commit sin, an occasional wrong act, but he will not practice sin. The difference is that an authentic Christian knows God. An unauthentic Christian may talk about God and get involved in religious activities, but they don't really know God. Do you really know God? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these passages in 1 John. I thank you for using me, speaking through me. God, I pray as we go about our week, go about our month, go about our year, we just remember these verses and reflect on them often. What does it mean to abide in you? And what does it mean to practice sin? God, I pray for anyone in the room or anyone that's listening who is practicing sin, that they reach out for help, that they confess their sin. They say, I'm broken and I need help. Help me get through this. Father, thank you for this day and for all these people. In your name I pray, amen.